Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome back to Social Distancing Radio. I am, as we discussed, now going to read the second in a trilogy of short stories that I had appear in a trilogy of anthologies from Sekhmet Press. And this one is the book Wrapped in White, and it was 13 ghost stories. Uh, Like I said, it's connected to the uh, first story. Daddy used to drink too much, but that connection does not become apparent until later. So, let's jump right in to his Shrine to Santa Muerte from Wrapped in White, 13 Tales of Specters, Ghosts, and Spirits. Oh, gosh. And let me get some of this reading wine in me. Good grief. I don't know what I'd do without that. That's for sure. You know, I haven't read this story in years, so here's hoping I don't find it bad. Anyway, his shrine to Santa Muerte. Lorraine nudged the torsion wrench with her right thumb while her left hand worked the pick. The lock was a simple one, but the book people had never been to this library before, so Lorraine took her time testing it. The building was constructed of old cinder blocks drowning under decades of green paint, and there was no sign of anything fancy in the way of security. Still, She wanted to play it safe. She also wanted to show a little respect to all the organized history a space like this contained. They'd driven way out into the country for this ritual. Not every little crossroads community squatting as this one did on a forgotten byroad littered with the corpses of a prior century's SO stations also sported its own crumbling branch public library. It was run down, perhaps a little forlorn looking, and ancient pines crowded in behind it. There were two signs out front. One read in tasteful but faded permanence. Henson Memorial Public Library, Garrison Township, North Carolina, established 1849. The other was of the lighted red arrow kind with an incomplete set of letters attempting to communicate to anyone driving by. Annual fundraising sale. Rare, collectible, used books. $3 a bag, Sunday. Most of the vowels were replaced with numerals. The book people did this at least once a season, breaking into library sales all across the Piedmont. They were a singular cabal of an obscure flavor of a niche religion, and sad little buildings such as these were their temples, their standing stones, and their sacred glades. 
The book people were bibliomancers, ritual magicians whose supernatural medium was that corpus of woods, both atavistic and contemporary, one could find scattered across the pages of a sufficiently overwhelming number of books. For them, magic was found in the mysterious intersection of words pulled at random from a book and their own focused meditative minds visualizing some desire. It was an old practice, but one out of favor in recent decades for all sorts of reasons. It didn't have the sex appeal of sky-clad Beltane rites or the accessorized glitz of amulets and talismans. Bibliomancy eschewed all that stagecraft to slice deep into the body of human communication. It sought the skeleton of intention bearing up the flesh and organs of genre and style. A worthy target for the group contained enough books to provide plenty of source material. They believed one could not simply reach for the same text over and over again and continue to find meaning. There had to be so many books the practitioners wouldn't know, never even could know, exactly what they would get. The book people wandered aisles and shelves until the right tome called out to them. They found it took a certain amount of chaos to create the order of meaning, like sifting ten million pounds of sand to find a single shining gem. That the book people were breaking the law to gain access to this library did not diminish the solemn regard with which they held such holy ah. That the book people were breaking the law to gain access to this library did not diminish the solemn regard with which they held such holy places. The act of trespassing was not a sacrilege to Lorraine or her band of fellow bibliomancers. It was merely a condition of their quest, a required sacrifice. Some heroes had to slay the dragon. They had to break the law. What they did had to matter to them to work. There was no better way to show their devotion than to sacrifice a little of their own respectability. Lorraine felt the last of the tumblers fall into place, and the lock squealed shrilly as it slowly began to turn. The other book people, Maria, Warren, and Auntie Anne, let out a collective breath. Their high priestess had picked every lock they'd ever encountered, given enough time, but they tried to take nothing for granted. Magic is never a predictable endeavor. The weather that winter had been harsher than normal. The Piedmont's low hills and thick forests had spent weeks buried beneath snow and ice. Lorraine and her brood had gotten accustomed to bundling up more than usual against the cold. Everywhere they went, the night persisted in drawing out all available warmth through whatever imperfections afflicted the decaying architecture of the average library. This building, happily, was different. It was still toasty warm inside, and everyone made little sounds of relief at the change in temperature as they shuffled hurriedly in behind Lorraine. Auntie Anne closed the door behind them, turned the lock, and smiled all around. She said nothing, but she rarely spoke anyway. The crone of the group found this setting pleasing, and that was always a good sign. All right, everyone. Lorraine's voice barely rose above a whisper as she shrugged off the synthetic outer layers of her soccer mom wardrobe. The others unzipped jackets and slipped out of hooded sweatshirts before they fell into a rough sort of attention facing her. I have Grant's grimoire with me. Let us turn our minds to his memory as we work. The wandering was always his favorite part of our little gatherings, so recall your impressions of him as you browse. Her tone shifted seamlessly into the pitch and cadence of ritual. May we each find the words we need. May we each take with us the knowledge we require. May paper and ink be our compass and our clay, and may the intentions of others' yesterdays 
serve as the signposts of our tomorrow. The library's front room and one to either side had been given over to the book sale. They were filled with folding banquet tables, covered in just slightly more cardboard boxes than they might be expected to hold. The lights were mostly off. The air was rich with the aroma of paper and dust, of cobwebs guarding corners, and of the sound of an old building popping its joints as it strained to keep out the frozen night. Every wall was painted either neutral beige or the color of artificial key lime flavor. The worn carpet was a dingy brown atop cement, so cold Lorraine could feel it through her shoes. Other than the sounds of the building itself and the breathing of the book people, the library seemed to be utterly silent in its nocturnal desolation. Rising like gravestones from among the books were homemade signs. True crime, non-fiction, horror, handicrafts. Posted over the door to the leftmost room was another. Rare slash firsts slash collectible. Lorraine smiled. That was the sort of room to which Grant would have been drawn. Each of the others had their favored sections, but Lorraine encouraged them to branch out at every available turn. Warren had a penchant for thin volumes of poetry, though Lorraine saw him heading first towards gardening. Auntie Anne had no specific favorite sort of book, and tonight seemed to be making her way along the back of current affairs. Maria, youthful and studious, wandered into romance before shaking her head and turning in the direction of self-help. She was the first person in her family to go to college, and very much the maiden of their little coven. Lorraine both admired and slightly fretted over the girl's self-conscious determination to be always making good use of her time. Maria was eager to be a grown-up, the evergreen mark of youth. Lorraine turned towards the room of rare books and hugged to herself the old leather-bound journal in which Grant had written out decades of observations, dire entries, and ritual texts. At every meeting, for years upon years, she had carefully scribed the pat. Dang it. At every meeting, for years upon years, he had carefully scribed the passages shared by every member of the group. All that came to a stop last autumn, 18 months after his doctor spotted a blur in a chest x-ray. Now, with the end of winter formally around the corner, Lorraine felt the time had come to carry Grant's magical record into one of their rituals one last time before putting it to rest. The start of spring is a time for new beginnings rather than fond farewells, but this was one of the lessons books had taught them. Every story has an ending, and every cover must be closed. The time was right to say goodbye to Grant, and for Warren to become their scribe. Lorraine walked slowly into the small room with her head down, breathing deep. Old books smell different from modern ones. Recipes for paper vary from one printer or one decade to another. Books decay at different rates and under different conditions. The aroma of all that crystallized intention drifting apart, spreading into the air like dandelion fuzz, was always pleasing to Lorraine. It was one symptom of the culmination of a text. A moment after she crossed the threshold into that room, an electric sort of tangle ran abruptly up the back of Lorraine's spine, and she knew something had just happened. She didn't know what, but she had felt that certain subtle ripple in reality from magic being done. Lorraine looked up and drew a short, sharp breath. Oh, she said to the figure she found there. Hello, old friend. Standing in the center of the room was Grant, slightly translucent. He was wearing the college football jersey in which he'd been buried, 
and around his wrists thick manacles in which he had not. His spirit stared unseeing at her. There were glittering obsidian orbs where his eyes should have been, and his spectral mouth appeared sewn shut. Something like a thick, dark twine was threaded through ragged puncture wounds, running the length of each of his ghostly lips. Two seconds later, Maria rushed up and spoke to Lorraine from just outside the door. Lorraine! Maria's voice was an urgent, half-whispered rasp. I don't think the library's empty. I think there's someone in here with us. And that seems like a great place to stop. Um, wow. Ooh, I like this story. I haven't read this story in years, and uh, like I said, and I'm really pleased with it. I'm digging this. If I do say so myself, I feel like that's not a very, you know, like socially acceptable thing to say about one's own work, but uh, it has been so long that it has freshed me, and I can be very proud of it. So that's what I'm going to do. Um, I am about to start recruiting other writers to appear on a public domain radio with me, and I'm going to make that a monthly episode of Social Distancing Radio. And so sometime in July, I'll have some other writer friend come on and read to us from something that they loved back in school and something that they've written more recently, and we'll have a really awesome conversation. And hopefully I'll do a better job with the sound next time because I feel like I make everything raspy and staticky. Anyway, I'm going to finish this drinking wine and what, well, it's all drinking wine. I'm going to finish this reading wine and then later this week, we'll come back and pick up his shrine to Santa Muerte, uh, which used to have a longer title. When I originally submitted it, it had a different title. It was the shrine to Santa Muerte, something, 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 something. Uh, but it was too long to go in the table of contents. <laughs> so uh, I had to uh, shorten it to his shrine to, his shrine to Santa Muerte. Anyway, we'll come back to that later this week. And I'll see you then. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.